Okay, so we thank our sponsors. First and foremost, thank our sponsors, Michael and Phyllis Miller, who've sponsored this entire series, um, commemorating the fourth Yorkside of Phyllis's father, Dr. Meyer Weiner, Chaim Meir Ben Yaakov Nachum Veliba, Zichrona Levracha, Neshama Shed Heaven Aliyah. I thank our, our sponsors for the month, uh, Joni and Moshe Pollack, uh, and also Anonymous, as, and as well as our weekly sponsors, Ben and Barbara Selsky, Jill and Robert Kaufman, Michal and Hanan Shaul, um, and also for the complete recovery of Gitta, Rivka, Barchai, Arissa, and by Brent Eisen and family, by the Jasper family. Uh, thank you to all of our sponsors, and, and, and also we'll, we're, we're learning, of course, in merit of our holy soldiers and all those who are wounded, and, and we're also thinking especially today about uh, all those children, all the people who are wounded and in, very badly in, uh, in Ranana, uh, which is very close to us. I think uh, I know a lot of people who have family who were hurt and so on. It's a very, uh, very, very painful. So we, God willing, our, our learning should be in their merit, and should all see a very speedy recovery. Okay, so we're coming now to a topic that could not be more timely. David's struggle with Amalek. I mean, here we are. Literally, this is the topic of news articles this week, right? As, uh, as with the whole travesty in the International Court of... Uh, you know, injustice, right? And where these issues are coming up, right? I mean, it's essentially the Bible is being put on trial. If you put the Jewish people on trial, you're putting, you're putting the Torah on trial, the Tanakh on trial, which is something that uh, I talk about a lot. You know, just had two hours of phone calls with Christians literally till five minutes ago. You know, and these are the topics that are coming up that are trying to help them understand that this is exactly what's, you know, when Jews are being attacked in this way, this is not just an attack on the Jewish people. It's an attack on, on, on the Torah, on the God of Israel and the Bible of Israel. That's what this is. It's a foundational battle, which in a sense I think should encourage us because the, the, the battle lines are being drawn, right? Um, and uh, remember that song, right? Battle lines being drawn. Nope. Nobody's right if everybody's wrong, right? Okay. I thought you would remember that better than me. You're a little bit older than I am. So I just, <laughs> right? Exactly. So the battle lines are being drawn. It's getting clear, right, about who's, uh, what do people stand for in this world. And so maybe that's the, the whole reason this is happening. And I, at first I thought, what are we even acknowledging such an, such a, such an international court? But the truth is to be able to put the Bible on trial, I think, is you know, to tell the world what we, what we are and what we believe may not be a bad thing. So, so and, and, a, and a key issue that has come up has been Amalek, right? It's one of the key questions, right? Which is, you know, we, do we view these people, these enemies of ours today as Amalek? So we're going to talk about the original Amalekites today. And, and I think there are many, many um, parallels to our, to our time. So in the beginning of, of chapter 29, we're getting almost to the very end of Shmuel Aleph, right? We're coming, we know Shaul HaMelech was just told that this is going to be his end, right? Tomorrow, says Shmuel, right, you will be with me, right, imi. And as Chazal said, you'll be together with me in heaven. So this will be your atonement, Shmuel says to Shaul. So what happens? They gathered all of their armies, right? They all had different, there wasn't just one Plishti leader, all the different cities and the, and the nobles, they all had their different armies, and they gathered them all together, Afeka, in Afeka, Yisrael, and the people of Israel, they, you know, they, they got ready in Yisrael. Now, right, so this, is where, this gets very confusing. Now, if you were like me until five minutes ago, or until we made Aliyah, right, I would have read this Pasuk and I would have kept going, right? But once you start realizing, wait, these are real places when you live in Israel. And, you know, we went to Amek Yisrael this past summer, Right on, you know, for family vacation, you know, like we were there in these places and you started thinking, wait a second, how does that make any sense? How does that make any sense? Look at this, look at the map in front of you. So see if you can find uh, a fake, right? You found that, right? It's not, not too far, a little bit north of, of, the, uh, of Gaza, right? Of Gaza back then, right? It's much more north than it is now, but not too far north of, of Ashdod and Ashkelon. But, oh, but, but on the other hand, it's kind of heading towards the center of the country. And Yisrael, oh, is even 
is all the way up north. What, what in the world is going on? Why is there a battle against the Plishtim happening in, with, in Yisrael? But I mean, it's interesting because it's also Har Gilbo, and that's where Shemuel ends up being killed. Right, so, so what is going on? Like, how, why are they coming there? Um, so the Navi doesn't tell us how the battle ended up there. We don't know, right? Like, we don't know, like, why would the battle be there? But it could be for a few reasons. It could be that Shaul retreated. Right? We're, we're only told very few details, right? The Tanakh is very selective. There could, there's a whole story maybe that happened here where the, the armies are advancing and Shaul is retreating because he's in a panic and he's retreating and retreating and retreating and they're coming deeper and deeper into the land of Israel. So that's one possibility. Uh, it could be that it, another possibility is, is that they, they chose this spot as, as, as the place where they would fight their battle, like a duel. If you remember with, when we learned about Goliath, Goliath, remember they made this deal, right? Goliath said, yeah, why should we kill all you Jews? Just send me one, right? I'll kill that guy. And then you'll all have to be my servants, right? But you don't all have to die, right? So maybe they, you know, they, in a sense, they, they kind of came to an arrangement. So David was, you know, volunteered and went forward um, and, and, of course, defeated Goliath and killed him. But here, perhaps, right, there, maybe there's another, in a sense, a, an agreement as to where the battle will take place. It's possible. We're not really sure. But I, I don't really have so much more to say about it other than the insight that we should pay attention as we're learning Tanakh. And it's really, a, I'm really, when I say we should pay attention, I'm talking to myself because I spent most of my life completely clueless about all of this. But now that we're here, it's one of the, I think it adds so much texture and depth to our learning when we know what we're talking about, right? And especially what will happen in the rest of this chapter. Um, the, uh, just a few weeks ago, actually it was, it was, I guess, early December. Yeah, so about a month or so ago, we had these young Christian women here. They came for Shabbos, right? We took them down south and we went, you know, along the border like everybody's, you know, it's like our new uh, trip to Auschwitz, right? We're going down south. Uh, we went to Eina Basur, which was an, an amazing story. What happened there, they only had four guns because they were not religious Jews, right? The more religious kibbutzim down there had tons of guns, but the, everybody else, they had four guns in Eina Basor, in all of Eina Basor. And, but miraculously, they were able, those with four guns, they were able to hold off Hamas. It's an amazing story. Um, but Eina Basor is, is what we're learning about today, right? The battle with, with David and, and Amalek and, you know, just to pay attention as to, to, in terms of what we're, we're talking about here, I think it, it adds so much depth. I couldn't believe it, right? I, I was preparing this sheer, learning this, at, like literally that week as we're going to Ein Like, oh my goodness, this is where David was. This is where it all took place. So sometimes you get these kinds of questions, like how in the world are they in this place? So, okay. Oh, we have to go back and check. We have to go back and check. No, I just wanted to know where in terms of Israel. Yeah, that's a good question, actually. Um, but it's not Israel. I can tell you that for sure. But we right, should we should check. Yeah, it's because it's definitely you know it's more to the south, more to the center of the center of the country. I just don't remember exactly where. Um, but if anyone has a time, you can open it up on your phone. You can check from uh, from last week. So Shaul ruled from from uh, from the the area of Benjamin, which was his ancestral land. Right, he's from Giva. If you remember, you know we studied Giva, the place where the concubine was torn, was raped and killed, and the whole terrible story at the end of Shoftim. That's where Shaul was from, and so it's that area where the, that Givat Shaul. Right, that's where uh, that's where he ruled from. Okay, so but let, let's uh, let's continue with the with the chapter here. So if you remember from a few weeks ago, David had a a dilemma. Right, the Plishtim were getting ready for war. Right, right. The Plishtim are getting ready. They're, you know, and and is he going to go and fight the Jews now? For up until that time, this time, it was mostly theoretical. He was able to. He lied to the king of the Plishtim. He was able to say, "Oh yeah, we killed some Jews too," and but he didn't know what was going on. It was before modern technology. But now there's going to be a direct war, direct battle against the people of Israel. So now David is in a very tough spot. So Sarnei Plishtim Ovrim Lemeot Vlalafim, the hundreds and by the thousands. And, they, and David and his men, they pass on. And then they're going in, in the rear with Achish, right? Achish was his man, was his, uh, right? He, he had, he had uh, committed to, to working with him and defending him and so on. But then, 
the, uh, some of the princes of the Plishtim said, what's up with these Hebrews? We're going to fight the Hebrews. What, you got a bunch of Hebrews here in the middle of the camp? Right? I mean, you could see why they'd be suspicious. So he says, so the, the Achish says in defense, Right? But this is David, is not a regular Hebrew. He, was, he had been, remember, he had been Shaul's uh, general, but now he's with us because Shaul tried to, ki- to kill him. Right? He's clearly on our team. And he's been loyal to us. And I found no fault with him. Right? Until he come to, since he came to me, he's been incredibly loyal. But the, uh, the other princes of the Plishtim, who did not have this personal experience with David, right? All they knew about were the, uh, the stories about David cutting off their foreskins, right? The foreskins of the Philistines. Remember that, right? That was how he, uh, that was his dowry for, uh, for Michal Bat Shaul. Shaul said, get me, you know, 100. You got 200, right? <laughs> Talk about intense. So that's what they remembered of David. So they, they don't trust this guy. Right, and they said, forget, they, no way. They said, send him back. He can't come with us to war. Right, he shouldn't become a, an, an adversary to us during war. Right, how could, how could it be, right? I mean, it, it's, uh, this is very dangerous, right? I mean, he, like, <laughs> what he could do. Maybe he could... Go back to his, to, his, uh, to his natural-born people, go back to the Hebrews, and he'll be in perfect position to cut off our heads, right? And to cut off our foreskins. Who knows what he'll do to us? Haloze um, David. Is this not the David? Remember what the daughters of Israel would say, that Saul has killed thousands, and David has killed tens of thousands. And this is the guy who's going to be on our team? So they, that song must have went out over the whole nation. Absolutely. Well, there are things like that we've read. We've learned also. Remember it said, Hagam Shaul Banevim, is Shaul also among the prophets? And then it says in the Pasuk there that that became a saying, right? That became like a phrase that people would say, meaning that guy is a prophet, right? To express surprise that he's, a, right? So same thing here. This is the, these became things that, that, that disseminated. They were bordering on, a, you know, their lands were bordering on each other. And when Shaul is killed, Right, David, he in his eulogy, he's like upset. He expresses his pain that they're going to be singing verses of song in Gat, in Gaza. Right, meaning it's not far. Right, that causes pain to us when we know that they're singing those songs, and vice versa to the Plishtim when we sing about our victory over them. Right, they were these nations were they were our enemies, but they were intertwined with us in the way that our enemies today are intertwined with us. And when you go to Rami Levi and there, and there are uh, Arabs who are behind the cash register and they're a few hundred yards away in Beit Lechem. And, you know, like the Plishtim and, and, and Am Yisrael at that time, it was the same, you know, the, the borders were back and forth and we, we lost ground, we gained ground. And it was not, you know, we were very intertwined with them. And so I think this is a, it's a very good point that this is, you know, they're paying attention to this. So Achish then realizes he has no choice, so he calls David over, and he says, David, what can I tell you, man? Right? Chai Hashem, by God's name, right? Which is amazing that he swears by Hashem's name. Ki yasharata, I know that you're Yashar, that you're, that, right, that you're, you're a straight shooter. And I would be delighted for you to come to war with me. But in the name, but in the eyes of these other, you know, princes of the Plishtim, you're no good. Sorry, man. I, I, I trust you, but they don't. So now, now go back in peace. I can't get the rest of them angry. And what does David say? Right? David's like, what do you mean I have to go and I don't get the chance to kill Jews? I, I, I'm, I've, been, I've been so faithful to you. Right? It's amazing. What a show David is putting on here, right? I just like try to imagine, close my eyes and imagine, right? I mean, he can win, he can win like, Academy a, like an Academy Award. I mean, it's unbelievable. David Amelech, in addition to being a singer, is also an actor, right? It's amazing. Right, and he dances, and he dances also, right? He dances <laughs> That's true. He does dance too. It's it's unbelievable, right? But he but he's not not one of those kinds. He's like a, he's a warrior, right? He's not just a singing and dancing Jew. He's he's everything. He's the Renaissance man, 
Right, I know that you are you are good, like an angel of God. I mean, it's like a love fest between Achish and David, which is something to think about, right? This seems right. Well, that's also true. That's a good question. That's a good why why one and not the other. Very good. I don't know. I don't have an answer, but if you think of something, let me know. Um, but in the end of the day, it's just, I can't do it. We, it it's, it's not my fault. Now get up in the morning. And along with all of your men, right? David has hundreds of men. So get up early in the morning and go. And that's what he does. He goes back to the land of the Plishtim. And they went north, right? So he goes back south. We don't know exactly where this happened. He might have already been in Israel proper, out of Plishti territory, because the Jews were, were retreating, right? We don't know exactly where he was. But he went back down to Gaza, and, and Achish went with the other Plishtim up north to Israel for the fateful battle where Shaul will die, right? So all the commentators ask the big question uh, of this first part of the, of the Perek, would David have actually fought together with Achish? What was his plan? He had hundreds of men together with thousands of Plishtim traveling north to war. Was he going to fight his fellow Jews? Could that, have, could that be? Like, what was, what was the plan? You know, so now, and when he, Achish told David to go back, I mean, I, I, the way I said it before, I'm assuming that he was faking, faking it, but it also seems kind of real, honestly. If you're just looking at it, you know, there's a lot of love going on here. This was not one or two psukim. This is many psukim of Achish talking about his love for David and David professing his loyalty. So what's going on here? How do we, you know, how do we understand this, right? Now, this was, if David was really happy to leave, he should have been like, I'm out, right? This was his way to get out of an untenable situation. Because if he had left, he was in a disastrous situation. What else was he going to do? Yeah. Cohen, sure. Yeah, of course. And he gave, like, he tried to tell them, oh, why don't you do this and do that, and this you'll be able to see the Jews. And- right. The difference was is that Ellie Cohen was, a, was, was flying solo, right? You know, and here David is, has, like, an armed brigade. And, I, you know, meaning there was no way, it's not like a one person with intelligence or this. I, I don't know how he's going to handle this situation. I'm not sure David knew how he was going to handle this mm-hmm. situation. So this seems perfect. Perfect. This is, this is clearly Yad Hashem, right? There's no, no way, right? But, but nevertheless, I mean, I mean, what was his intention, right? That, that's where it gets so interesting. We don't, we don't really know, so there's speculation. Um, but, but I found a few different, you know, approaches. So it's just we can read through them together. The Malbim says, Right, the, uh, you know, that this, and this I think gives us a little bit of a hint that Achish was saying that you were going to be my secret service, you know, my defender. So maybe this was David's plan, which was that the war will happen, we'll stand back, right? And we'll, you know, while all the plishti soldiers go in and fight the Jews, that'll be, the war will be happening, but we'll stay back and we'll be like the private guard around Achish, okay? I don't know, I, I always think of it uh, with Mel Gibson, Yimach Shamo, and very part, because I love that movie, what can I tell you? Um, you know, where they, with the British and the Scots, you know, and like they send all the army forward, but the generals all stay in the back. And there's always like a whole circle of soldiers around them to defend them, right? They, you never leave the general unprotected. So it's the same thing here. So, and, and most of the time, those soldiers can get away without seeing any action, right? Unless, you know, there's a, you know, you know one side completely overwhelms the other and so on. But uh, maybe that was David's plan. That's one approach. The Ralbag. Number five, he says, He says that this is a general lesson to all of us. Do not attach yourselves to bad people. Why? Right? Right? Because we see that because David went with the Plishtim, regardless of whatever his intentions were, we don't know exactly what he was going to do, but he got caught up in a bad situation. Because David went there and attached himself to Achish, maybe a little too much, and got a little too close. So it seemed like a good idea at the time, right, when he was in Gaza, because he was able to create his own little fiefdom and things were going well. 
But now we see that it's coming back in his face. Because now, all of a sudden, he's going you know, with him to, to fight Am Yisrael. And then Hashem punishes him. What happens next with the Amalekites and how they, they, they kidnap the families of David and his men, says the Ralbag, this is all a punishment for David having attached himself to Achish and putting himself in this position in the first place. Which is very, a little bit of a harsh, uh, a harsh judgment of David. Right? He he's wasn't exactly in an easy situation. He had to flee Israel. Where was he supposed to go with 400 men? Right? It wasn't exactly an easy situation. But nevertheless, he's criticized. Um, Rav Yitzchak ben Arama. He says, I, I, this, I like this the most because he really, he, he creates the emotional picture of what David was going through. That David was in great pain here. Right? So I, I've never, he goes, this is a terrible dilemma that I've not seen in, like, in, in David's life until this moment. Right? So now, you know, Achish has been called, is going to war and calling David to war with him. So woe to David if he agrees to go with Achish and woe to David if he does, if he does not agree to go with Achish. If he agrees to go with Achish, which is what he did, he was on a collision course to fighting his own people. And if he doesn't go with Achish, well, then his entire his loyalty is questioned, and he could, he's putting his men and their families and everybody at risk. A disastrous situation. And, and Achish had been very good to David. Chesed v'emet. Right? We're acknowledging, even among this, this plishti, that he treated David properly, you know, in a straight-up way. And really, David, you know, to, to stab him in the back... Right, as you're suggesting, like Eli Cohen or something like that, would be inappropriate for David because he was treated, he was taken in by Achish and given shelter and, and in, in his country, right? But at the same time, to fight against his own people? God forbid. You know, right? So to fight his own people would have been obviously a horror show. And, but to fight the Plishtim at that moment, would have been a begida, right? That would have been a chil Hashem. Meaning we want to kill the plishtim, but we want to do it in the right way, right? We want to kill them as Jews. We want to kill them, you know, not like by being dishonest, by stabbing them in the back after they help us with something, right? That's not the way the Jews fight wars, right? That's not our situation today, obviously. But in this case, right, I think it's, uh, it's, it's appropriate that, that the Akedah Yitzchak is acknowledging that even this, this plishti leader has done something appropriate. So thank God Hashem looks out for tzaddikim. So, so thank God you put into the hearts of these plishtim a distrust of David. And so therefore David gets out of this situation in the best possible way, right? Where he's still loyal to Achish, but he's told that he has to leave. It's the perfect situation. So Hashem takes care of him. So I thought this was a very fair um, you know, a very, very fair approach to David Amelik, what he was going through here. Uh, but I, it also struck me that there's a lesson for us today here. <coughs> David Amelech was in an impossible situation. There's no, no way out. Right? I think a lot of people view what we're in right now as an impossible situation. Right? Even putting aside Gaza, we're surrounded by people who hate us here. That much has been made clear. Right? The car wash guy wants to kill us. Right? It's clear. <laughs> 85% of them support October 7th, right? This is not, there's no future with these people. But then we look and like, what are we going to do? Are you going to take a, get a couple million people out of Yehudan Shamron? Like, it's just not feasible. How do we do it? It's impossible. The answer is, is that it's not impossible. Is that nothing is impossible for Hashem. And that in moments when we cannot find a solution, sometimes Hashem finds a solution. Right? And I think that if anyone has the ability to believe that and believe that in a real way, it should be us. We're the people of miracles. Haven't, have we not seen impossible things happen over the last hundred years? Have we not witnessed it and lived it? So what, this, this, this is too impossible for Hashem? Meaning, Hashem, David was in a, an impossible situation and Hashem solved it. Why? Because David was a tzaddik. So if we, and then this is what we've been going with for months, that we are David. We are David. 
We are the people of David. And how could he be the king if he had to fight his own people? That he, he, there's no way he could then come back and 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 gain the loyalty of the people of Israel. Right. So exactly. So, but I'm saying what what I love about the Kedas Yitzchak is he's telling us that David was at a loss. David was righteous. He only wanted to do the right thing, and he did not know what to do. No matter which way he went, it was it seemed impossible. I, it, right? I couldn't can't go that way. What can I do? And he's heading towards a cliff. Right, getting closer and closer to the war against his own people. What's he going to do? Really, if you take it back a few steps, <coughs> uh, take it back a few steps before he got to this um, very precarious point. Right, he was already with them for for some time. Yeah. Right, and what was his plan then? When he has a, he has this whole brigade with him. Is the brigade that are the, did he explain to them? Yes, I'm 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 loyal to Israel. All and, unspoken, right? right? All unspoken. All unspoken. So the Malbim says, right, the Malbim gave us one possibility, that he was going to be the secret service, right? He was going to be the king's guard and not going to be going out to war. But that's not... Ex- for Achish. For Achish, right? So he's only going to play defense, like they were going to be behind the scenes. They were not going to be on the actual front lines, but they can be behind the front lines. But that's not really clear that that was really going to be the case. Um, but I, I, what, what Yitzhak Rama is saying is that David... Even, even the great David HaMelech was at a complete loss and he was finding himself pushed forward by events out of his control, did not know what to do. We can imagine that he was crying out to Hashem in tefillah constantly. He was the man of Tehillim, right? We can only imagine what he, that he was, how he was davening and Hashem came and solved the situation. So I, 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 don't know, I take hope from it because I think uh, it bothers me tremendously when our leadership says, you know, like, oh, that's not realistic, that the, the Torah's view is not realistic. When, since when has the Torah's view been realistic? What, what about any of this is realistic? There's an amazing, um, it, it went out on one of the WhatsApp groups a, a month or two ago already, where it like, quoted Bibi, it was like, it's not realistic to, do, to go back to Gaza, it's not realistic. Um, and, then like, and then Ben-Gurion, they had a quote from Ben-Gurion, right? That, right like the, I forgot exactly the Lashon, but like the... the the, the, a miraculous people, like for us, for the miraculous people of Israel, like, like the miracles are realism. Like that, that's what it means to be realistic. We, we are the people of miracles. Like that's our realistic. There's no other way. Like we don't deserve to, there's no reason we should be here. It doesn't make any sense. The fact that we're here at all. So to say that now Gaza and all these things are impossible and unrealistic is ridiculous. Is that more unrealistic than then coming here, you know, if he came here in 1905, like Rabbi Nissenbaum, and all he saw was swamps, and, and uh, you know, and, and people were like dying from, you know, I mean, left and right from illness, because, and there was, it was devastation, and now all of a sudden you see what Israel looks like, and, and that there are seven plus million Jews that are here, I think that's more unrealistic, right? So I think that, that's a reminder here, like even in these impossible situations, it's a lesson from David, and yet another lesson from David HaMelech. So, um, but there's one more teaching here, which I thought was really quite interesting from Rabbi Sachar Yaakovson from uh, Sefer Chazona Mikra. I'll be honest, I, get, I, I, I picked up Chazona Mikra from one of the, uh, the bus stops here at Efrat. Uh, I'm not going to tell you which bus stop because it's one of the best books, book bus, bus stops in Efrat. And I don't want you all pillaging my, book, my, my <laughs> bus stop. Um, I've gotten, I mean, almost all the books that I get now are from bus stops. It's a, it's a, I try to give back also. Um, but uh, it is, uh, it's actually incredible, um, the, the kind of stuff that I find at these bus stops. I'll give you one hint. The bus stops on the, in the older side of town are better because they're selling their houses. <laughs> and, then they, and then they put all their books in the, in the bus stops, and it's like, I hope the bus doesn't come soon because I'm having too much fun. Um, so I found the safer, and it's a well-known safer. I just didn't have it. Rav Yaakovson says, David Nimtzaba Gola, David was in exile. And life in Gullus, it, it like lowers the stature of a person, of a Jew. When we're in Gullus, we have to do, deal in tricks and deceit. Think about, you know, Yaakov Avinu and how he's dealing with Lavan. He was not on his home turf. He was in Lavan's land. He was in exile. And that, Yaakov has to be, you know, a trickster, you know, to fight back against Lavan. 
when David ran to Achish the first time, when he went by himself, he had to pretend to be completely insane in order to save himself. Not exactly a, uh, a graceful exit, right, from, from that situation. Because that's what happens in Gullus, to survive. You've got to do things that are beneath your cover. Now he's coming Barosh Gedud at the head of a of a brigade. Right, so now he had to like pretend, you know, as if he's ready to go to war against his own people, which is a humiliation. Humiliation. Right? Achish thought that David was now going to be his Eved forever, his servant forever. Now that, everybody, is an embarrassment to, king, to David, the future king of Israel, already anointed, that now he's got to pretend to be the servant of Achish? Nebuch, right? But that's what, it, that's what life in Gullus is. And frankly, that's what we're seeing a little bit today with, uh, with Ben Shapiro, right? Ben Shapiro, who's like the Rosh Gola. Ben Shapiro is the Rosh Gola, you know? And I actually think, I actually agree with Ben Shapiro. He's one of the, the, the few Jews. Ben Shapiro and Chabad, who has, they have a good reason to be in America, you know? He's doing amazing things. But even on the, on the right, there's a, and we know the left has been terribly anti-Semitic, but there is a whole group of people on the right now, well-known people. He's been attacked by four or five very famous people in the last few months on the right of, of dual loyalty. He's been, they've been tearing him down. Right, and, and it's like, and it's so upsetting, right? Meaning, okay, you don't have to agree with the guy, but, but, but Ben Shapiro, who's like become mamash, the representative of the Jewish people in America, right, is is being torn down and attacked in a way that wouldn't happen if he was living here. It's just, a, it's a cost of exile. Um, it's 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 really it's been it's it's very concerning. The Hodge the Hodge twins, Candace Owens, a whole bunch of these people have been doing. And Jason Whitlock, a lot of these people have been going after him. Um, you know, Tucker Carlson, all these people, right? It, it's not, uh, I'm saying, but that's part of the cost. I'm not saying he sh- his, his argument is wrong, that he has good reason to be in America for the time being. He's doing important work there, but it comes at a cost to his kavod and to his dignity. There's no question. That a Jew, right? I mean, think about, uh, what's his name? Blinken, right? I mean, Nebuch, right? What, but a, a Jew in the service of, of another nation, you know, a Jew in the service of another nation is not, can't be a Jew. Right? And when Anthony Blinken comes here as a Secretary of State and, and is pressuring Israel in, 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 in such a terrible way, right? it's not all bad. So he says some things are good. It's like the mixed, you know, it's a mixed bag, but it's humiliating. I think I, that's what I think about. When I see those statements, I think Nebuch, that this Jew has to, be, has to give over. You know, He's not humiliated. He believes everything he says. And he may believe it. He may think he believes. May think he believe, I'm not really sure what he believes. But the point is, is, is that he's, he's an Eved to the president. Sure. Right? In the end of the day, he's a, he doesn't have his own, get to have his own views. Whatever the president tells him or whatever, you know, they, he's got to say. There's something humiliating about being a Jew outside of your place, right? Where you're in service of a foreign government. That's exactly the situation that David was in. Right? I'm not comparing him to Havdil. He's not David Amelech. I'm not saying that. But, but Blinken can resign. Blinken can resign. That's true. That's exactly true. Um, so... In any event, um, whatever, you can read here David French, but you get the idea. This is all that this, uh, this has been bothering me a lot lately because I've been spending time with, these, with, on the, uh, with the right-wing side of things, uh, you know, in conferences and conventions in America, and I'm smelling, I'm smelling this evil on the right, on the right as well. Um, okay, but now we come to Amalek. David Amalek, okay, he goes from, uh, what is it, the frying pan into the fire, right? David Hamelech comes with his men back to Tziklag, back to Gaza, to, by Gaza. What, and what does he find? David and his men, they come to Tziklag on the third day. Right? And they, they destroyed the town of Tziklag, which was David's town, and burned it to the ground. And they, uh, it's, it's a total, total disaster, right? Because they... they they take the, the, the women and the children. I mean, you can't imagine anything worse than this. Can't imagine anything worse, right? This is what we're experiencing right now. Um, they find the whole, the town is destroyed. It's like going into Be'eri. The town is destroyed. And their women and their children are captured and abducted. 
and they, they wept until they had no more strength to weep. And we know the end of the story, but we have to pause before we know the end of the story and, and think about how David feels. We know, it's not hard for us, right? We know, because we're not at the end of the story. We're in the midst of this story. And that's what David was experiencing, right? Sometimes with these stories, when we know how they end, we don't properly appreciate the journey, right? This is a moment, you can't imagine, the most painful moment of David's life. Worse than anything he's been through until this point. And because it includes, of course, Shtei Neshav David, his two wives, Achinoam and Avigail. Um, they were also taken. David was very distressed. But even worse is that now they all want to kill David. Right? They were, they were incredibly angry. The men were losing their minds. They were out of control. And they want to kill David. Right? They, they wanted to kill him. It's his fault. He's the leader. He went with Achish. It's his relationship. We followed you. And now we come back and, and they took our wives and our children. And everything's destroyed. By, David's 400 men, whose wives and children? Everyone, all of their wives and children. This is a great host of Amalekites. Because um, as we see later, after a very terrible battle, when they kill tons and tons of people, 400 Amalekites escaped. Meaning 400 escaped. You can assume that a few thousand of them were killed in the battle that, that is to come. So you're talking about a, like a serious, you know, for that time, like a real army of people that came and took all of their wives and children. But this is a key line. But David finds strength in Hashem. This is David Amelech, right? At the lowest moments and the worst moments, he never, he doesn't lose it. Shaul, like we talked about last week, right? Shaul, he's told that he's going to die. He throws himself on the floor. I'm toast. I'm done. David, he sees his wife and children are taken, but he somehow finds strength in Hashem Elokav. Vayumer David, so David says to Eviatar the Kohen, Hagisha Nali Ha'ifod, bring me the Ephod. And, and he asks Hashem, Erdof Asigenu, should I pursue them? Will I overtake them? Right? Amen, amen. We should see that in our time, right? That we should overtake them and that we should, we should uh, save every last one, right? Hatzel Tatzil. So he's, he gets the, the go ahead. Now, I think. David would have gone anyway, right? Meaning when your wife and children are taken, you go and you go and you fight. But by doing this, he was able to calm the men who were with him. God is with us and God is sending us. He's got his 600 men. That's Eina Besor. That's where I was last month. Where those who were left behind stayed. So at that point, 200 men stayed back. They're, they were defending or they were unable to go further. One, for one reason or another, these 200 out of his 600 men did not go further. Watching the equipment or something? Watching the equipment. You would say normally they're watching the women and children, but there were no women and children to watch. So they were, right, they, may have been, they, were, they were the rear guard or maybe they were just physically overwhelmed or emotionally overwhelmed. We don't know exactly, but, but 200 stayed back. Right, it says, right, share pigru meavort nachal besor, meaning they, they, they were too faint. So what is that? Emotionally too faint, physically too faint. So hard to say. Uh, but they, they did also play some sort of a defensive role, right? That's, probably they should have left a few hundred men behind when they went with Achish in the first place to go up north. ish mitzri basadet. It's so interesting. They find at this point an Egyptian man in the field. Vayikhuoto el David. The guy needed food and drink. He was like starving and you know, dying of thirst out, out in the wilderness. They give this random Egyptian a piece of cake of figs and raisins. He ate and he was and he came back like the guy was probably near death. And he hadn't eaten or drank any, drank anything for three days and nights. So he said, who do you belong to? You don't belong here, right? You're an Egyptian here. What's going on? So where are you from? So the Na'ar Mitzri, he says, no, I'm a slave to, the, to an Amalekite. Um, and my master just abandoned me because I got sick. I was a drag. 
Once I got sick, I was useless to him, so he just left me in the desert to die. Just to get a sense of who the Amalekites were. Right? We, when we talk about Amalek in general, we do it based on the Parsha. Right? Parsha B'Shalach. Right? We always talk about, you know, Kitetze, we talk about Amalek. But a lot of our understanding of Amalek comes from Nach. This is one of the key sources to understand who Amalek really is. Is it fair to link this Amalek? That's an interesting connection. Maybe it's a hint. Maybe it's a hint. Yeah. That, that's, actually, I hadn't thought of that. That's fascinating. That could be that there's a little bit of a hint of the three days and the three nights, but you know, from here with Amalek and the salvation that's about to come, that's great. And I hadn't thought of it. Um, you should add it to your commentary on Sefer Shmuel. I like it. Um, okay. So, but, it, but I think it's fascinating, right? Meaning, think about the situation here. He owned this slave. Slaves are valuable. This slave seemingly served him probably, you know, with great loyalty, I would assume, for who knows how long. The guy gets sick, and then you abandon him in the desert? But I'm thinking there was a story about about three, four weeks ago when they went into, like, northern Gaza, and they had abandoned the area and left, like, this 90-year-old woman all by herself because she was too sick for them to... Not hard to draw the conclusions, right? What we do for every last soldier, even if a soldier is Lo'olenu, you know, is killed, to get the body back, right? What we do for that soldier, right? That's the Jewish people, right? But so you see the difference here. The Amalekite abandons, and what, but what does David do? And he and his men, who have no relationship with this random guy, they, they don't know anything about him. They don't know that he was with Amalek. They just see, uh, they see an Arab, right, who's dying, because he was, a ba- he was dying of thirst, and they save him, and they save his life. See the difference. You see what Am Yisrael is, right? This is who we are. So, but, but now, all of a sudden, they're getting intelligence. I was there, right? They came. I was with the Amalekites and when they burned Siklag in fire. So that's it. So he's, he was there. So David says, Will you take me to, to them? Show me the way to go. Swear to me by God, right? That you won't kill me. Promise me you're just not going to give me back to the Amalekites and I'll take you right to them. No problem. Right? There's no loyalty here anymore. Right? So, he, so that's exactly what happens. Good question. Hard to know. Meaning they, they, uh, they, don't, they didn't know probably who, who took their family. They didn't know where to go. Right? So only now are they finding that it's an Amalekite. Don't, I don't know how they would have treated Well, we have another case where an Amalekite comes to David, which we'll talk about in a moment. But it's, it's a good question, actually. It's a very, I think it's a very good question. Um, it sounds like he was put here for a reason. Oh, very much. I mean, this is all Yad Hashem, but, it's, uh, but it also shows you the character of Amalek and the character of Amisrael. That's why this is so important. So, they, so he guides them. They were not rushing to get away. They were not frightened. This was not like they were you know, going as fast as they could to get back to wherever their home was, right? They were, they were spread out all over the ground. Eating and drinking and partying, right? They burned Siklag. They have all these women and children they took now presumably as slaves. Right? And they're having a party. That's it. Right? This was a brilliant move on their part. They went, when the Plishtim all go to war, they go, the land is empty of men, and they go from behind and from the south, and, they're, and, and, they're, and they plunder and plunder. So what happens? So David smote them from twilight to the evening, of the next day. They fought for over 24 hours straight. This was not a small battle. This was not an easy battle. This was not over in 10 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. And they, they didn't, not one Amaleki escaped except for the 400 men, the 400 that escaped on camels, right? And remember, this was uh, like the 400 men that Esav had with him, right? Rashi, Chazal, connect those 400 men to the 400 men here. Amalek is a descendant, of course, of Esav. But David also had 400 men. There's only 400. 
It's so interesting, right? There are 400 that he brought to fight. There are presumably some, several thousand Amalekites. Exactly, exactly. The, the number is very, very significant. There's no question. So David saved everything that Amalek had taken. He saved the wives. They all say they saved all their wives, all their children. Not, right, nothing was lacking. Not one child was missing. Right. So, you know, we haven't, uh, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to bring everyone home, but, uh, you know, as close to this as possible is our prayer. So, I mean, so, so, so fascinating. You know, it makes you think about, like, why is it that, that Amalek attacked David's camp right now? Um, so, yes, you could look at it just militarily that they saw an opportunity because all the men were gone up north. But on a spiritual level, right, first Shaul was challenged, you know, with Amalek, and he failed, right? It's a failure that sealed his fate and paves the way to David, right? In chapter 15, he fails with Amalek. In chapter 16, Shmuel anoints David, right? I mean, it's, the, the connection is immediate. So now, as Shaul is about to be punished and killed for his failure to fully destroy Amalek and listen to Hashem, David now finds himself tested by Amalek, right? It seems that like defeating Amalek is a rite of passage, you know, to earn the royalty. It's, it, I mean, sh- Rambam says about entering Eretz Israel, like part of the rite of passage. Right. First, you, you have a king, and then you have to destroy Amalek, and then you can build the base of Mikdash. So we had a king with Shaul. He failed to destroy Amalek. So we went back to stage one, anointed a new king. Now that king is fighting Amalek. And David, of course, passes this test, and then he can proceed, and his son will build the base of Mikdash. So it's, it, it, is, it is fascinating, right? Um, so one of the king is defeating this That's right. Amen. Exactly. Our soldiers. Um, so the Maharal says, you know, that, that uh, it, I thought it was very, also very interesting in the Medrash. Rabbi Yaakov Hashem Rabbi Huna says, Suffering has been divided into three parts. Echad David, one third of it for David. Echad Shmad, one third to the generation, you know, that suffered religious persecution. Echad Mashiach. And the third, the other third of suffering is for us during the days of Mashiach. Right, I, just the... Uh, I mean, if you think about the suffering that David went through with his wives and children, how his men were going to kill him. As he, so he has to deal with his own suffering and his own family, possibly being dead. He didn't know. And at the same time, his own men want to kill him. Think about the horror that he's going through. And then think about what, you know, and, and relate it to what we're dealing with now. I mean, it's unbelievable how, connect, you know, if, there's, if you ever needed proof that we are in the door of Mashiach, what we're going through, the Chevle Mashiach that we're going through is a direct parallel to the Chevlei Mashiach of David HaMelech. That's why we're learning this Sefer, right? Why we're not learning, you know, one of the other books of Tanakh, because I think that David is us, right? He's, he, we are reliving what he's going through. Why does Yisurim happen? It's because there's a hitnagdut, there's an opposition to something else. When you have an opposition to something, when two things come into great opposition with each other, right, it, it leads to suffering. Now we know that, the, that Am Yisrael, the nations, are, are uh, opponents. Right? But David, more than any other Jew, was an opponent of these, of these enemies. Right, David, as we'll see, there's all of Shmuel bet what he does to all of our enemies, all around, one after the other. He takes them out. That's why when, when Shlomo becomes king, right, it's peaceful because David has done all the, all the work. David is the man who destroys all the enemies. And that's not just happenstance. David is, in his nature, he is, he is the ultimate Jew, right, in, in a positive sense. And so what he stands for is in direct opposition to the enemy. David is calling out B'Shem Hashem in a way that Shaul never did, right? He's calling out B'Shem Hashem. And so that, uh, that arouses unbelievable opposition. I think that's what we're, what we're experiencing now, right? As Am Yisrael grows ever closer to Hashem, we are on an upward trajectory, as I explained to the Christians that I just met with before, that we are experiencing our own great awakening, 
right? You had your great awakening a few hundred years ago. John Edwards, anybody remember from school? The great awakenings of religion, of Christianity in America. There happened two waves, late 1700s and then early 1800s. There were two huge spiritual religious awakenings and revivals and everybody was becoming religious. It was a whole big thing. We're having our great awakening right now. Right, Am Yisrael is going, so as we become closer and closer and closer and more aware you know, uh, of what we're supposed to be and closer to who we're meant to be, the opposition only gets more and more and more intense because we are shouting out, B'Shem Hashem. We are becoming David and we are leaving Shaul behind. And so we are arousing enmity among our enemies. Right? That, that's, oh, that's natural. That's, the Maharal says this is the way of the world. It's a sign of, of, of our progress, that they're coming for us in this way, and that the whole world is joining in, right? That's, that's because we're becoming David. It's a, it's a good sign, right? Um, we had, so David is the essence. Right? The umot, the nations who want to destroy that which is in opposition to them. We threaten all the godless people of the world. We threaten all of the Islamic jihadists of the world, Right? We, we, our very existence and our success threatens them. David is the essence of this. And so therefore, David is their great enemy. Um, in his, I mean, it's, it's incredible. His faith under pressure. Uh, you know, sorry? Maharal? Uh, or late 1500s, early 1600s in Prague. Pretty, pretty incredible. When you also see what he writes about Yishmael, even though he probably didn't know anybody from Yishmael, um, it's also mind-boggling how he talks about the Mashiach will come and connect to Yishmael. It's like really amazing to read. The Maharal, Ratzvi Yehuda Kuk, was adamant that everybody had to learn the Maharal. And when guys would complain to him that they're not really enjoying it, he'd say, double it. <laughs> learn twice as much until you enjoy it. Until you have to, because he goes, the Maharal is the, is the foundation of understanding Am Yisrael and what we are in this world. Like he's the foundation upon which his father, Rav Kook, was built and many others, you know, built on top of the Maharal. So, you know, the, these, the, David's men were uh, ready to blame him immediately for the catastrophe, right? They immediately forget everything that David did for them. They're ready to kill him. Says the Malbim, They were upset. David, why didn't you leave a few hundred men behind to protect the city? Right? They had, they, but Bechozot, even though David probably had tremendous guilt in his own right. So in addition to them all going after him, he's probably saying, you know, you know it's my fault. I should have left a few hundred men here to defend. Nevertheless, he tchazek b'Hashem asher meshacho. Right? Hashem who anointed him, David somehow found the strength, right? This is why David is, at, is, is our role model in this time that we're going through right now. He somehow doesn't lose his cool. Says Rav Moshe Tzuriel, Zechar Tzadik Levracha, just passed away. Everybody wanted to, they wanted to stone him to death. Even the ones who are his closest men wanted to kill him. Can you imagine your closest friends, your closest associates? All of them turned on David. Hashem would show him the way. If there's ever hope, you know, in, in the worst and most darkest of times, right, this is it. David had the secret sauce that we've talked about. He had this, Hashem was with him in a way, he carried, the spirit of Hashem was with him in a way that set him apart, even from Yonatan, you know, from other great people of the time. David had this uniquely close relationship with, with Hashem, which is what got him through this incredibly difficult time. We see it now, the people who's, you know, who've uh, both lost children, but also people whose kids are among the, uh, the captives and the hostages, you know, and we've seen some of these people and their unbelievable strength. It's not normal. It's not human. It's the Hashem Imo. I think that we don't have it in one person anymore. Now we have it in, in the nation of David, right? That's as we get closer to Mashiach, it's not about Gedolim. It's about the nation. It's about the people. The Gedolim have gone down in stature, but the nation has gone up in stature, as Rav Cook says. 
right? With eat, the whole idea of Yeridas Hadoros, the decline of the generation, is only true with the leadership of Israel. The nation of Israel, says Rav Cook, is getting greater and greater and greater with each generation, which is a fascinating idea. I think it's, as usual, everything Rav Cook says is so profound, but it's true, right? I mean, look, do we have a Lubavitcher Rebbe? Do we have a Rav Cook even? To, we don't have any of them today. Right, who are our gedolim today? Clearly, are are on a lower level than the gedolim of earlier times. There's no question. Vilna Gon, we don't have anything like that. The Baal Shem, we don't have any of these kinds of people. But but our nation is on a higher level. That we are the greatest <laughs> nation that the Jewish people have ever seen. Says Rav Cook. So, not that we don't need leadership, but but it, this is part of Hashem's plan that that David should not be that we're not just waiting for the individual David, we're talking about the generation of David. We're talking about the nation of David, that we are David. We don't talk about, we're not saying like, oh, that guy is, da- is he's today's David, and we can all watch. Right. A, we are David. There's a passage, the house of David, um, the people among them will be like David, and the house of David will be like God. Ah, um, very you, beautiful. That's from um, Zachariah, Nika. Yeah, one of the books that we never read. Yeah, we should. Everybody's got to start reading those books. I've started reading those. I don't know them well enough by heart, but I, that, that's what I learned now. All the stuff that no one ever teaches you in, in, in high school. All the, the end times books, they're, they're incredible. Um, so it, it's really just incredible. So, but look, we, we see the, the national character of Amalek, um, their cruelty. And, and I think that you know, the, the parallel to today is, is absolutely the same. They celebrate the murder, right? Remember that statue that they had, yeah. right? Of, of when, they, when they killed Jews, they had a statue in Gaza for, after killing soldiers with the dog tags. And, you know, and of course, we destroyed it when we got there, you know, the last few weeks. But, but the, 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 take, the taking joy in the cruelty, right? We are by Shanim Rachmanim Begomle Chasadim, which is the Gemara and Yavamos, right? Our national character. There is such a thing as national character traits. I think in the modern world, a lot of people reject this and they find that, what do you mean? You can't say that a whole nation has a certain character trait. And obviously there are always going to be exceptions, right? But um, the Judaism believes differently. Hashem said that the children of Yishmael, they will be wild asses that will live in the faces of, the, of other people. Now, I know that's not PC, but that's what the Torah tells me. And it's a thousand percent true. And we should say it, at least to each other. It's real. And it's the same thing here. Amalek has a, has a cruelty, there's an evil cruelty to them, right? The laughing and singing and partying as people are suffering and screaming and crying, right? And that's what we see here. And we see that Am Yisrael Baishanim Rachmanim Begomli Chasadim. And that sometimes works to our disadvantage. We're so merciful that we can be too merciful, right? And that's a very, very, very big problem, right? Those who are merciful, right, to the cruel are cruel to the merciful, Right? That's a real, that's a real thing. I'm not going to go through all these different pieces, all the, all the, many of the other sources here, because we're kind of running low on time. Um, but uh, one, one other interesting point here is that in, in source number 28, if you look ahead, just skip ahead a couple of pages, we find in Divrei Hayamim speaks about, about our story. We, no, nobody ever remembers to look in Divrei Hayamim, right? It's, like, <laughs> it's not so easy. Right, the OU Women's Initiative is learning Divrei Hayamim. So that's good to know. So, Elu Abayim el David Tziklag, that there were people who, other men who came to Tziklag at this moment and who fought with him. Um, and they were men of Menashe. There felt him men of Menashe, several captains of the men of Menashe. And they fought with David against Amalek, which is interesting. He went with his 400 men. So either these are in addition to his 400 men who showed up at the time of battle, or maybe they had become part of his 400 men. But around this time, as this battle is happening, the men of Menashe join. Now, why is that significant? Do we really need Sukkim and Tanakh to record that for all time, that some men of Menashe came and joined David? I mean, frankly, who cares, right? The answer is, I believe, that we have a Pasuk that tells us, as the, as the, uh, the Gemara says, Right in this number twenty nine, that uh, after Yosef was born, that's when that's when um, Yaakov Avinu felt that it was time to go back to Eretz Yisrael that he can handle facing Esav. Only once Yosef was born. Why? Because we have the pasuk in Avadia that says, Beit Yaakov Esh." The house of Yaakov is fire. Ubeit Yosef lehava, and the house of Yosef is the flame. Ubeit Esav lekash, and the house of and through. Through Yosef, the house of Esav will, will be like straw that burns up. They'll be the fire. Well, Yosef is the, is the fire that will destroy 
the, the straw of Esav. Amalek is Esav. And so we're told that Menashe, men of Menashe, joined David and his men of Yehuda just as he's about to go and fight Amalek, the descendants of Esav. So on a very deep spiritual, I mean, it's amazing, right? That we, we don't have time to get into why is it specifically that Beit Yosef can defeat Esav. But on a very simple level, this is another step towards Malchus, right? David, only now by bringing in the, the children of Rachel, the children of Yosef, joining together with him, because he was with the men of Yehuda, together, when they unite together, just in, just in time to go and fight Amalek, and they can defeat and destroy our great enemy, right? And I think that's a great teaching for us today, which is, if we're going to defeat our enemies, we've got to find a way to pull Menashe, the, men, the people of Yosef, who in our, in our mashal, in our parable today, are, are the Chiloni Jews of Eretz Yisrael, right? They're the Jews who are the 10 tribes. That's generally the, the children of Rachel, right? That whole world of, of Israel has to join together with David. We, we, David, in the narrow sense, if it's just David and his people, meaning like we, the religious Zionist Jews, who I think are the leaders of Am Yisrael, maybe not politically yet, but we will be, and we are very much the spiritual leaders of Am Yisrael. Nevertheless, we might be David Amelech, but we need the rest of Am Yisrael to join with us in order to defeat Amalek. And so, and, that, and, and that's why I think the posters that you see in Beit Shemesh, where, where like it says, you know, Yachad Nenatzeach, and then they'll add there, Yachad, like with graffiti, Betshuva Nenatzeach. Absolutely wrong. It's not that this is not correct. I don't think that's correct. It's not about tshuva. Tshuva will come later, after the war. That's, that is the time of tshuva, right? As we find after all the wars, it becomes a time of tshuva. Just as after the Plishtim defeated us terribly initially and, and killed Chafni and Pinchas, that, that's when Shmuel did tshuva afterwards. During the war, when you're fighting Amalek, that's when you need, it's yachad ninatzeach. Later on, we'll worry about tshuva. But right now, Hashem just wants us to be together. I think that's the teaching. What? It's happening anyways, 100%. But that shouldn't be, we're not going around and going on a major tshuva campaign. All right, now that, now's the time for, for the love fest for Am Yisrael. We have to make sure that it continues. We should see it and complete destruction of our enemies very, very soon. Amen.